Will I still have a house in a month? Home is love. Affordable housing really fills a need. Home is hope. You're always grateful to have a roof over your head. Eden Housing is that hope. Welcome to the Affordable Housing Podcast, brought to you by Eden Housing. What causes homelessness? At All Home, a San Francisco Bay Area nonprofit organization founded and run by Tamika Moss, my guest today, homelessness is thought to be the result of systemic racism and economic inequality, evil twins. And if it wasn't tough enough for extremely low-income folks, along came a global pandemic. Hi, I'm Joanne Green, and welcome to the Affordable Housing Podcast, brought to you by Eden Housing. All Home advances regional solutions that will disrupt the cycle of poverty and homelessness, redress the disparities in outcomes due to race, and create more opportunities for economic mobility for extremely low-income individuals in the Bay Area. Tamika Moss is not new to this work. Her expertise in housing, public policy, and community development have been building for more than 20 years. For the past three years, she served as CEO of Hamilton Families, offering emergency, transitional, and permanent housing services to families facing homelessness. From 2014 to 2017, she served directly under the mayors of both San Francisco and Oakland, most recently as chief of staff for Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff. Tamika, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much, Joanne, for having me. You bet. We are at quite a pivotal moment. So both systemic racism and economic uh, inequality, which together result in homelessness, are particularly troublesome right now in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. What are your thoughts on this moment? Gosh, I mean, I think you've articulated it so well. You know, the pandemic really laid bare um, how significant the homelessness and housing crisis is in the Bay Area and across the state of California. And, you know, one of the things I often say is, you know, this was a problem before COVID. We saw increases in homelessness between 2017 and 2019 that doubled in some of our region, some of our communities across the region. And so I, I think it's important for folks to understand that we were trying to figure out both systemic and programmatic interventions around this crisis before the pandemic. And it's just made more urgent because more people's lives are at stake and we need to expedite the things that we know work and engage stakeholders across every spectrum of our community to really focus on outcomes, to make sure that the residents in our community who are most at risk of housing insecurity and homelessness are supported through these difficult times. Do you have any statistics on how much worse it is now in the wake of the pandemic? You know, that's a great question. I, I think it's been hard for people to capture real-time data, frankly, around how many folks are impacted. Before the pandemic, we had about 310,000 households across the Bay Area that were earning less than $35,000 uh, a year for a household of four. We imagine that that has grown significantly in the wake of the pandemic. We also know that um, based on some data reports that 40% of the job loss uh, during COVID-19 has been experienced by people with extremely low incomes. And so that data in and of itself 
is reflective of how how concerned we should be around the people who are at risk of falling into homelessness because of this uh, economic and health emergency, in addition to the 35,000 um, residents in our community who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness across the nine county Bay Area. So I think those numbers are sobering and and yet they're only, I think, reflective of what we knew pre-pandemic. So I would imagine that there's a significant increase in vulnerability in our communities throughout the region. We know that COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted people of color and low-income folks. So tell us how the need for more affordable housing is playing out as a result of this. Well, I, you know, I think you, when you, when you opened the podcast, you talked about how um, fragile um, people at the lowest incomes really are. And you, you referenced the connection to systemic racism. It is not a surprise that you have communities throughout the region and throughout the state that are disproportionately impacted by homelessness and housing insecurity. And as a very specific example, the population of African-American folks in San Francisco, for example, is about 5% of the general population. And yet almost 38% of the people experiencing homelessness are African-American in San Francisco. So when you have disparities at that, that, that scale, it's really important to understand how racial equity plays into the solutions that we are putting forward to address both the homelessness and housing crisis, as well as our health response to COVID. We saw our Latinx brothers and sisters disproportionately impacted by COVID um, positivity rates, as well as um, just general exposure because of the housing conditions that many of our our neighbors live in very crowded conditions, folks who whose incomes were dependent on keeping their families housed, so they went to work sick. So you have a lot of the sort of, you know, health and economic vulnerabilities, again, that were, that were um, very evident prior to COVID really being exacerbated by this health emergency. And so I think it's important for folks to understand that many people are hurting. And that is, it is unequivocally important to ensure that our policymakers and advocates and, and community understand the impact broadly. But if we are prioritizing scarce resources, those resources really need to be targeted to the people who are most at risk of homelessness, housing insecurity. And we know that that is disproportionately um, our black and brown and indigenous neighbors. No question. In the new year, California state legislators are working hard to respond to both the virus and the housing crisis. Are there any proposed pieces of legislation that are particularly exciting to you right now? Well, that's, a again, great question, Joanne. I mean, I think we have a really great opportunity right now to do advocacy around the hard work that the governor and the legislature are doing to extend the eviction moratorium in the state of California. AB 15 is an opportunity for us to really make sure that the renters and those who are most at risk of housing 
um, insecurity and homelessness are protected. You know, some jurisdictions like Oakland have incredible uh, protections for their residents that are actually more stringent than our state uh, eviction moratoriums. I think the federal government, I think, you know, the incoming administration has signaled that they too understand the importance of extending those um, eviction moratoriums from the federal level. So AB 15 is one, um, a state that, that Assembly Member Chu has put forward to really make sure that the the protections through the eviction moratorium are extended. I, I encourage all of our listeners to really get behind that. All Home is doing a really big advocacy push there, as well as AB 16, to really make sure that when we think about you know, stabilizing and preventing um, the bottom from falling out of our economy, these two pieces of legislation allow for better protections for tenants and and people at risk of housing insecurity. So AB 15 and 16 are super exciting. And then the last I'd say is um, AB 71, um, which was announced recently, is really looking at how do we ensure that there is a permanent source of funding to address homelessness across the state of California. Um, Mayor Schaff and other leaders have really um, stepped up and, and are taking a leadership role around this particular uh, bill. And it's, it's, it's really it's encouraging our policymakers to understand that we can't do this work with one-time funding. We can't piecemeal um, um, resources and, and not have coordinated strategic efforts to actually reducing population level homelessness. And we need a permanent source around that. So those three are, are pieces that I'm really excited about. Has there ever been a permanent source of funding? I mean, it seems that every few years, once again, everyone needs to mobilize their resources to try to get legislation passed. You know, redevelopment was a tool that California used to be able to provide deeply affordable housing across the state. And in 2012, then Governor Brown um, abolished redevelopment and there was no replacement tool to provide communities with the resources that they need to deeply subsidize extremely low income housing and how supportive housing that people who um, have higher barriers and higher needs uh, needed, as well as our traditional affordable housing. So we need to really come up with new policy interventions that give uh, jurisdictions the tools that they need to create sustainable pipelines. How do we produce, preserve, and protect the three Ps? How do we do that at scale? And you can't do that when local jurisdictions are having to do self-help measures and taxing their local um, constituents uh, just to pay for, you know, very basic services and operational needs for housing. So I think we have to open up our thinking, get the federal government back in the game of supporting um, states and localities around housing production, and then get super creative around our land use policies to really reduce barriers to production and cost. So we do have a new federal administration. What partnerships do you believe are needed from the federal government to really make a significant impact on the housing crisis? Well, first of all, I, I, you know, the, the Biden-Harris administration has already demonstrated a commitment to um, elevating 
housing and homelessness first and foremost. I think um, the the um, the recommendation of uh, Marsha Fudge as the new HUD uh, secretary is very encouraging. I'm really looking forward to working with her and um, HUD on thinking about the universal voucher program that's being proposed. Um, you know, figuring out how we do home ownership in an equitable way so that we can build uh, wealth and, and opportunity for low-income homeowners. I think that there's a myriad of ways that the federal government can get super creative, both about existing policy that exists, that has, that has been thwarted um, from the previous administration or reversed, frankly, like, you know, affirmatively furthering of, of fair housing, as an example. Um, and we also need to get the other departments at the federal government thinking about what does it look like for communities to prosper, not only from housing, but also from an economic um, mobility standpoint, standpoint. How do we help extremely low income earners earn more in their respective communities so that they can cover their housing costs, so that they can cover childcare costs and not have to make the really difficult decisions around, I can only buy food or I can pay my rent. That is the reality for so many of our neighbors across the region. And I think federal partnership is both sustaining our, our work with them really digging into working with local, state, and county partners, nonprofit leaders on solutions, as well as providing adequate resources that only the federal government can do at the scale that we need. Makes so total sense. Tamika, if people want to lend their voices to the cause, how would you direct them? Obviously, people can write to their legislators about AB 15, 16, and 71, but what else? I think one of the most important ways that people can get involved is to recognize that everyone needs a home. We have figured out in our economy, in the, in the creation of the United States, that housing is a commodity. But in fact, it should be a right. It should be a resource that everyone has access to. You cannot build health, wealth, uh, prosperity if you do not have a place to lay your head. When I was running Hamilton families, seeing children be exposed to homelessness in their in, in elementary school, it stunted their growth, it, it disrupted their, their cognitive uh, ability to learn, as well as just their confidence that they are valuable, that they have potential in this world. And so I think everybody having a posture that everyone needs housing. It's not about individual choices of why you have it or don't. How do we create the opportunity for everyone to have housing at levels that they can afford? So go to your, your county uh, supervisor meeting, your board, your, your local city council. If there's a housing project that's going to be moving forward in your community, that's going to offer more homes for people, support it. I don't care who it's for because we need housing at all income levels to get out of the housing shortage that we have in the region. And there's no question that the people who are NIMBY, right, not in my neighborhood, not in my yes. backyard, 
they're going to those meetings. So I, I, I live in Marin County, and we recently had a whole issue with Project Home Key. Yes, um, cool. <laughs> right where um, I and many others stepped forward to speak in in front of the city council and the board of supervisors to say, hey, this is not, it, your property values are not going to go down. That is not even true. These perceptions right. are so wrong. And you're, you're so right. I mean, so much of how people perceive this issue is just not based in facts. So you, you know, they're all home really centers our work around evidence-based practices and data. That is how we inform the decisions that we make. That's how we know whether or not certain, um, certain solutions really work. And, and then in the case where we may not have data, we pilot, we test, we iterate in real time. And so I think there's, we want people to have empathy and compassion for the social challenges of our time, which is what we're, we're in the midst of. But I think we can be proactive in showing our support for, for housing overall, um, getting your, your business leaders, your companies to really put resources in the pot, right? Like there are tons of part of our challenge is we've had such incredible job growth and such an underproduction of housing over time. So how can companies get proactive and figure out what their contributions to these, these challenges are as their workforce is in community? So I, I think that there's a chance for, for our listeners to just get active, pay attention to what's going on in your community and be a champion for making sure that people in your community have a safe and decent place to live. And that's not contingent on whether or not you think they deserve it. Amen. Tamika Moss, founder and chief executive of All Home, thank you so much for the good work that you do every day and for enlightening us here today. My pleasure. And again, if folks want to get involved, please go to allhomeca.org um, to find out ways to plug in. This is a movement. No one organization is going to be able to do it alone. I really appreciate uh, Eden and the leadership that you all do in this region. We couldn't do it without you. And I look forward to our ongoing partnership. Excellent. To hear prior episodes of the Affordable Housing Podcast, please visit us at EdenHousing.org.